Hello, and welcome to the TGP NYC podcast. Today, Pastor Stephen Paramala will be speaking on the topic of being outside the camp. Let's listen in. I believe I have a word from God for you today, okay? The title of my message is Let's Go Outside the Camp. Let's go outside the camp. And so if you're ready to receive the word today, I want you to say, let's go outside the camp. Okay, I'm going to take you outside the camp today. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 13. And I'm going to read verses 10 through 15 in the message translation, um, if you have your Bibles. Or uh, we, we have the scriptures up on the screen for you to read along as well. Verse 10, the altar from which God gives us the gift of himself is not for exploitation by insiders who grab and loot. In the old system, the animals are killed and the bodies disposed of outside the camp. The blood is then brought inside to the altar as a sacrifice for sin. It's the same with Jesus. He was crucified outside the city gates. That is where he poured out the sacrificial blood that was brought to God's altar to cleanse his people. So let's go outside where Jesus is, where the action is, not trying to be privileged insiders, but taking our share in the abuse of Jesus. Some translations say bearing his reproach. This insider world is not our home. We have our eyes peeled for the city about to come. Let's take our place outside with Jesus, no longer pouring out the sacrificial blood of animals, but pouring out sacrificial praises from our lips to God in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would anoint your word today and anoint my lips. And I pray that you would minister to us through the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that the Spirit is calling us outside the camp. Okay? Just as Father called Jesus outside the camp to be crucified, the Spirit is calling you and I to meet him outside the camp as well. He's calling us out to be separate. He's calling us out of the world and into life with him in the spirit, okay? And so I want to give us the theological implication of this passage, and then I'm going to move on to the incarnational implication of this passage. So number one, the theological implication. The writer of this epistle in verse 11 is talking about the day of atonement when he says, in the old system, the animals are killed and the bodies disposed of outside the camp. The blood is then brought inside to the altar as a sacrifice for sin. The writer is giving us here an analogy from the Old Testament law about identifying with Jesus and moving outside the camp. The Day of Atonement was a ritual performed once a year where the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and sacrifice an offering for the sins of the entire nation of Israel. And there was one bull and two goats that were part of the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. And these uh, sacrifices were essentially taking place uh, of the people in order to satisfy the wrath of God because of the sins of the people. And so the bull was sacrificed for the sins of the priest. And as for the two goats, one was killed, okay, and the blood was spread in the Holy of Holies, and the other one, the high priest would lay hands on the goat, and he would confess as many sins as he could think of, okay? He would confess that over that goat, and then he would let that goat free 
to Rome to, to, to leave and go into the wilderness. And so this action symbolized that through the sacrificial blood of the first goat, the people's sins were removed from inside the camp. And through the releasing of the second goat, it was symbolic of their sins and their guilt being released because of the sacrifice being taken place. And so when the writer says that the animals are killed and their bodies disposed of outside the camp, the bodies of these animals were actually burned outside of the camp, according to Leviticus 16.27. And so the writer is actually teaching us that Jesus fulfilled that system of atonement for sin when he was crucified on a cross outside the camp, outside of Jerusalem, and that his blood was enough for the sins of mankind, past, present, and future. Does that get you excited? That the blood of Jesus is sufficient. We don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. We don't have to go through a system of offerings and, and through a system of, of, of trying to live up to a certain standard anymore because Jesus, his blood is sufficient. And when we come to him and when we ask for his forgiveness, he sets us free and he sets us right with God. That is exciting. Amen. So now, Instead of sacrificing animals for the forgiveness of our sins, we receive forgiveness through the sacrifice of Christ. Instead of the blood of animals making us temporarily free from the guilt of sin, Christ's sinless blood makes us clean and right before God. Our righteousness is not in what we can do or can't do. It's in Christ alone. Hebrews 10.10 says, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We can't do anything else to atone for our sin. Christ is enough. Amen? So why did Jesus go outside the camp to die for us? Hebrews 13, 12 in the New American Standard Bible tells us, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. He suffered outside the gate to sanctify us, to make us different, so that we could be set apart, to give us a different value system. When we come to Jesus and put our faith in Jesus, our value system should be different, okay? What we believe in, the choices that we make should be different. He suffered outside the gate to form us into his likeness. So now that we have looked at the theological implication of this passage, we're going to now look at the incarnational implication of this passage, meaning how we live this out in our day-to-day Lives. In verse 13, the writer says this, So let's go outside where Jesus is, where the action is, not trying to be privileged insiders, but taking our share in the abuse of Jesus. The, uh, I like how the NASB puts it. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. You see, many believers think that Jesus died simply to make their lives better, easier, and convenienter. And I know that's not a word, but I made it up. Okay? But Jesus is clear that if we want to share in his glory, 
if we want to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. And his sufferings are found outside of the camp. And so if today you are suffering in an area of your life, Okay, it's because God wants you to share in his glory, but you can't share in his glory if you can't identify with his suffering. The writer implores us to go outside the camp, but I think it's important for us to know what it means to say, stay inside the camp, don't you? Okay, he tells us to go outside the camp, but there's a reason he tells us to go outside the camp because inside the camp is appealing. See, people who stay inside the camp view church as a way to hibernate and hide from the big bad world out there. Okay, people who stay inside the camp are people who only minister on Sunday mornings from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. when church is in session. Okay, for the rest of the week, they're just hoping to escape the complexities of the world and come hide again next Sunday. And that's their entire view of church and their entire view of Christianity. Let me hope to make it through the week. Let me just hope that God is powerful enough for me to survive. This big, bad world, let me try to hide as much as I can and, and just, try to, just try to crawl into church on Sunday. This morning, John texted me, and he was joking. He always jokes with me in the morning when I need him, and he says, I fell down the stairs, and I can't, and I can't make it to church. And I told him, you better crawl to church. You better be here. I need you. Okay? They view church as a place of refuge, which it is, but that's not the only thing that church is. The church is also a training center, equipping the believers to take their faith outside of the four walls of the church, outside of the four walls of the institution of church, and into their sphere of influence. Each of you has a sphere of influence that nobody else has. Each of you has a network of relationships outside of here that no one else has. Each of you has influence with people that no one else has. And the point of church is to train you and equip you to take your faith out into your sphere of influence. You should view the church as a space that is empowering you to take your faith into your classroom, your boardroom, and your living room. Amen? A faith that does not move outside the camp is a weak faith. It's an uninspiring faith. It is a powerless faith, and it is an unbiblical faith. You can clap. That's worthy of clapping. I'll clap. That's, that's good right there. We need, to, we need to receive that. You know, as Americans especially, we're taught to move away from stressful situations, aren't we? We're taught, we're counseled, books are written about it, to move away from stressful situations. Like if our job stresses us out, we quit. If, if our marriage stresses us out, we quit. If our church stresses us out, we quit. If our major in college stresses us out, we quit. But Jesus operated outside of the camp. He walked. If you read the Gospels, he walked towards stressful situations, didn't he? He walked towards storms. Okay? He walked towards blind people. He walked towards lame people. He walked towards those people that were selling things in the temple and turned over the tables. He walked into stressful situations. Amen. He walked towards tax collectors and prostitutes and Samaritans. He walked towards a cross. Jesus did not try to escape stressful situations. He walked right into them. Jesus doesn't call us to avoid the storm. He calls us to walk through the storm carrying the peace that only he can give us. 
He doesn't call us to avoid stress. He calls us to depend on him through the stress. Okay? Many times, many times, Jesus doesn't calm the storm around us. What he'll do instead, if we'll trust him and we'll depend on him and if we'll run to him, he he calms the storm within us. And when he calms the storm within us, the storm outside of us cannot touch us. Because we're walking in peace. We're walking in joy. We're walking in power. We're walking in confidence. Because he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Amen? Staying inside the camp is symbolic of dead religion. Okay? Staying inside the camp is symbolic of dead religion. Jesus was trying to explain to the religious people of his day that he was the promised Messiah, the promised Savior of Israel, the, 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 the one that they were, they were wondering about, the one that they were wishing for, the one that they were dreaming about, the one that they were taught about. He was the one, that he was the one who was prophesied about hundreds of years earlier, that he was the fulfillment of the law, that they were so strict about fulfilling. He tried to let them know that they had turned the law of Moses into a legalistic set of man-made rules and regulations used to control and oppress the people. They had lost the heart of the law and were instead using a man-made version to beat the people over the head with it. And as much as he tried to show them the truth, they were unwilling to accept it. They refused to accept Jesus as who he was. Dead religion today is a version of Christianity that is so consumer driven that we forget the heart of the gospel to reach the lost and to disciple believers. And and in turn, those disciples reach the lost and disciple other believers. We've lost the entire heart of the gospel and the entire purpose of what Jesus died uh, to establish the church for. Dead religion is a church that doesn't love their neighbor. Dead religion is a church that doesn't see their neighbor, that doesn't notice their neighbor, that doesn't acknowledge their neighbor. They might not do anything wrong to them, but they ignore their neighbor. Dead religion is a church that doesn't talk about Jesus to their lost friends. Dead religion religion is a church that doesn't pray for miracles inside the church and outside the church. Okay? Dead religion is a version of Christianity that is only concerned with what the local church can offer them, not what they can offer the local church. It's all about what can you do for me, pastor? What can you do for me, pastor? What does your church offer for me, pastor? What can your church do to make my life better? And that's the only thing that runs through their minds because church to them is a consumer product. Mm -hmm. Dead religion is a church that preaches that Jesus died for them so that they can be wealthy. That Christ sacrificed everything so that they could receive their BMW by faith. (laughs) So that they could receive their designer clothes by faith so that they can receive their fancy house by faith, so that they can receive their private jet by faith. Dead religion is a church that does not encounter the presence of God, the presence and the power of God. A dead church is one that denies 
the, the, the power of God. It, it's one that, 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 that wants the truth of God but denies its power. Dead religion is prioritizing your schedule on Sunday night to never miss an episode of Game of Thrones but using every and any excuse to miss Sunday morning church. That's called dead religion, that you care more about what's happening on, on Game of Thrones than you do about what God is doing in the local church that he died for. I know people that they, won't, they, they will move hell and heaven in order to be at home to watch Game of Thrones. But my gosh, it rains outside. I guarantee you there's a bunch of people not here because it rained today. Man, we've got our priorities all mixed up. We've got our priorities mixed up. Inside the camp for the recipients of this letter was a religion without Jesus. The camp was symbolic of a place where God was moving forward, but the people had not moved with him. They were still operating in the old ways while rejecting the fresh new thing that God was doing. They were still sacrificing animals for their sins while neglecting the one that sacrificed himself for them. They were still following the law of Moses for their righteousness while rejecting the only one that can make them righteous before God. Let me ask you a question today. Is your relationship with Jesus stagnant or is it up to date? Is it current? Is it fresh? Is God doing something in your life right now? Or, 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 or are you living off what God did in your life in the past? Yeah. Is God speaking to you right now? Or, 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 or is your relationship with him just completely stagnated? Are you operating in a form of faith that is outdated because you haven't been keeping up your relationship with him? You haven't kept your connection with him. You are disconnected from the source. Man, the presence of God was so strong last Sunday during worship. For those of you that were here, you, you saw that. My wife, she told me after church that she literally felt the presence of God so strongly radiating from her that she thought like people in the congregation could literally see what was going on. I don't know, maybe the heat waves coming off of you or I don't know what it was but she just felt the presence of God so strongly Japheth he felt the presence of God so strong that he couldn't even hardly sing the rest of the song because he was just crying from God touching him so deeply do you ever encounter the Lord in a tangible way like this where you can feel his love where you can feel his embrace where you can feel his goodness in your life the Spirit is calling us to go outside the camp where Jesus is. Yeah. Jesus is located outside of dead religion. Jesus is located outside of our apathetic spiritual lives. Jesus is located outside the world's systems and ways of doing things. And so what does it mean for us to go outside the camp to where Jesus is located? And to answer that question, I want to juxtapose this passage in Hebrews with a couple of other passages. And so I want to read Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40. And it says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. 
I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. You did these things for me. And I want to shift over to Matthew 22, starting with verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I think we can sum up these two passages along with our text in Hebrews by this statement. Believers, men and women of God that are sitting in here today, you need to move toward need, not comfort. You need to move toward need, not comfort. You need to move toward need, not convenience. If you look at the life of Jesus, I don't remember him ever being found in a place of comfort. And I'm not saying you need to sleep on the floor and you need to take showers in cold water, any of those things. But, but, but the, 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 the thing that rules our lives should not be comfort. It should be need. Okay. And so if you look at the life of Jesus, he was never found in a place of comfort. He was either in a desert or in a garden or walking or on a cross. You never find him in a palace or a chariot or a mansion. He was always around brokenness, wasn't he? As you look at the life of Jesus, he was always around broken people. He was always around broken situations. He was always around broken bodies. He was always around broken humanity. That's where you found Jesus. You didn't find Jesus trying to make his life more comfortable. You found Jesus entering into brokenness. And through his love and through his compassion, he made broken things whole. In the Christian faith, you cannot separate how you treat others from your love for God. Let me say that again. In your Christian faith, you cannot separate how you treat others from your love for God. They are intimately interconnected. You cannot separate them. That's why Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God and love people. The uh, the lawyer asking Jesus the question, he didn't say, what are the two greatest commandments? He said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus decided to say two things. Why? Because he was was saying, you cannot separate your love for God with how you treat one another. Because by your love for your brothers and sisters, people will know that you love Jesus. How you treat others is a witness in this world to your relationship and your connection with God. And so those things cannot be separated. The church becomes dead religion when people decide to separate those things. I love Jesus, but I'm going to hate you. I love Jesus, but I'm going to separate myself from you because of the way you look or because of your socioeconomic status or because of your political affiliation. Oh, it got real quiet there. But that's the truth. That is the truth. In the Christian faith, you cannot separate how you treat others from your love 
for God. The writer of Hebrews tells us that when we identify with Christ and truly start to follow Him, it will lead us into places that others may consider disgraceful. But we walk down those paths if it means loving people, if it means serving people, if it means showing them who Jesus is. And as Jesus explains to us in Matthew 25, our faith will most definitely lead us outside the camp to the hungry. I was hungry and you fed me. It will lead us outside the camp to the thirsty. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. It will lead us to the homeless. I was homeless and you gave me a room. It will lead us to the shivering. I was shivering and you gave me a place to stay. I, I was sick and, I, I, and you stopped to visit. I was imprisoned and you came to see me. You see, as we identify with Jesus, as we bear his reproach, he will take us to these people. He will take us into positions where we are around these types of people. And when we do these things for someone else, God counts it as if we were doing it for him. That is incredibly amazing and that is incredibly sobering. Especially the amount of times I, I just walk by people where I know they're broken, I know they're hurting, I know they're in need, and I just walk by just like the rest of New York City. Reading that passage is, is just a sobering thought with the amount of people that I walk by every single day without serving, without helping, without ministering to. And the more you identify with Jesus outside the camp, the more you'll be willing to identify with the brokenness of those around you. You'll be more aware of the poverty in your neighborhood. You'll be more aware of your neighbors not having hot water in their apartments. I can testify to that sometimes. I've taken plenty of cold showers. I was like, I thought it was only on missions trips that I had to, had to deal with that stuff. You'll be more aware that gentrification hits our neighborhood Locals who have lived here for decades are being pushed out of their homes. People will stop being projects that need to be fixed. And instead, our hearts will mourn with those who are mourning and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We'll start to empathize with what our brothers and sisters and our neighbors are going through. We'll start to, instead of judging people from afar, we'll start to to the best of our ability, we'll try to walk in their shoes and see the world from where they're coming from and to see issues from where they're coming from. The writer of this passage tells us to move outside the camp and towards bearing Christ's reproach. And that means as we follow Jesus, our reputation might be tarnished. That means as we Move outside the camp. People might make fun of you for blindly following a man who lived thousands of years ago. Yeah. That you're basing your faith on something that can't be proven and you might be ridiculed. You might be not taken seriously because of that. In academia, you might be looked down upon because of your faith. And as we bear Christ's reproach, this may cause us to be overlooked for some things, for some promotions because of our stand for Jesus. We might be misunderstood because of our beliefs, because of our convictions, because of our standards. And our faith may lead us to make some decisions that others just simply don't 
agree with because they don't understand. But listen to how the Apostle Paul viewed meeting Jesus outside the camp in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I once thought these things were valuable. I once thought being an insider, being inside the camp was valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Not because of what I have done, not because of what I have achieved, not because of what I have accomplished, but because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. You can say garbage, you can say garbage if you want to clean it up a little bit. You can say trash, you can say junk, whatever you want to say. He counted it all trash. He counted it all junk. He counted it all garbage. Why? So that I could gain Christ. And the writer of Hebrews says if you want to find Christ, you got to go outside the camp. you got to go outside of dead religion. You got to go outside of your comfort zone. You got to go outside of your convenience. And it's outside of the camp. It's outside of our comfort zone that you and I will find Jesus. And when we find Jesus, everything we have to put to the side, everything we have to throw away, everything we have to sacrifice, everything we have to suffer, everything in this world we have to go through, we count it as garbage because we gain something much more valuable. And that is Christ. And that is Christ. If I could have the worship team come up. I have, as we're closing the message this morning, let me, well, I, have a, I have three takeaways for us to, to, to take home with us this morning. And so if you're taking notes, you should write this down. For number one, Jesus wants us to take our faith outside the four walls of the church and into our neighborhood and into our homes and into our workplaces and into into the lives of those around us. That's our sphere of influence. He doesn't want our faith to stay inside the church. He doesn't want our faith to be just a Sunday morning thing. He doesn't want our faith to be just a Friday night lights thing or just a Tuesday men's book study thing. He wants our faith to be incarnational every day. He wants us to be the word with skin on. Jesus was not just a God in heaven. He, 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 he incarnated, meaning he became flesh. The word, as John told us, the word became flesh and dealt and dwelt among us. He became one of us. He can sympathize with our weakness because he was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. Jesus is the word that became flesh that dwelt among us. Jesus wants us to take our faith outside the four walls of the church and into our neighborhood. It's not enough to wait for people to walk through these doors. We need to take Christ's love out to where people are hurting. We need to take the gospel to the sick. We need to take the gospel to those who are far from God. We need to take the gospel 
to those who are making decisions that are destroying their life. We can't wait and just look at our watches and then when are the people going to come? We've got to take what's inside of us out there to them. Takeaway number two, as we bear Christ's reproach, it may lead us to a tarnished reputation. But as believers, we must be okay with that. Because we know if we want to share in His glory, we have to share in His suffering. We know that this world is not our home. We're aliens and strangers passing through that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem where there's not going to be sin, where there's not going to be sickness, where there's not going to be tears, where there's not going to be sorrow. And so we look to that place that, that, that God is forming and fashioning for us, but we understand that our job is to take people with us. We understand that our, that our faith goes everywhere we go. And takeaway number three, as believers, we must move toward need, not comfort. We must organize ourselves toward the people in our life that are without Jesus. We must identify where there are needs in our world and move toward those needs because our natural inclination, my natural inclination is move towards what's comfortable for me, what's most pleasurable for me, what's best for me. And that's why Christ said, you must deny yourself. You must deny yourself. You must walk in the Spirit. Let's pray.